Hello and welcome to Muse and Metrics. This is your host, Philippa Burgess. Uh, welcome to season two, episode 10. And I want to talk about an urban planning degree. Uh, yesterday, I completed my master's in urban and regional planning from USC. And I'm enjoying the fact that it's now done and all those pressures and deadlines and uh, classes are complete. And I, it's been a four semester journey. I started in May of 2021 and just completed in August of 2022. Uh, I will say the summer was a bit rough the second go around because we had walked commencement in May and we'd had a four day on campus intensive at the end of April, which was wonderful to meet our cohorts. It had been a bit adjusted because of COVID where each Cohort was designed to have two in-person intensives at the end of the fall semester and at the end of the spring semester. But because of COVID, we did the first one online. And so our, our first opportunity to meet each other was at the end of April. And it was really fun. It was really, it, it was an intensive intensive. They, but there was also a lot of time to just socialize, connect, really get to know each other in ways that the online one didn't really allow for. And I actually found the online one was actually way more stressful, uh, in fact, than the on campus one, which was uh, just more joyful, had a lot more breaks and just and a more opportunity to just really get to know people and work together. And it was, uh, it was fun, but coming into the summer semester, it was just rough. As one of my cohorts put it, we had all turned our motors off. And although I was happy to show up at class, I was happy to do the readings and watch our async videos, which are kind of supplemental materials. Uh, in the online program, I was having a really hard time kind of generating anything. We have discussion questions and I just could not motivate to get around to answering them in a timely manner. And it really just took until like sort of the first paper to be like, wait, I, re I remember how to write papers. I can do this. And in this particular program, as I imagine other master's programs are, it's a mix of individual work and group assignments. And in this one, I found that the group assignments actually kind of helped get me going, get me restarted. And our professor had noticed that we had a bit of senioritis. Uh, and we, as much as we love the program, enjoyed working with each other. There was a part of all of us that were just ready to be done. And at the end of it, I was sort of having this fear of probably a totally irrational fear, but like, am I going to finish this? And can I get around to sort of finishing this strong and we had two classes uh, in this one. Well, we had two classes each semester. And then at the intensives, there were sort of these two sort of mini classes that were two days each. And it was a very well-structured program, well-taught, well-received. What I knew before I started it to what I know now is absolutely transformational. And, and I, I just had to say, like, there's things in life we just don't see until we see them. And then once you see them, you can't unsee them. And sometimes that's good. You see uh, the nature of the problem. You now need to see new solutions to problems. You understand why things are the way they are and what the mechanisms are to improve them and to change things. And as I've been going through this particular series, I've been talking a lot about the things that I have learned and, and wanting to make them accessible for citizens, accessible for an everyman to see how these things are relevant and they apply to all of us because we all live in 
places and we all are impacted by the built environment, by people and society, by the natural environment, by economics and how that's all tied together by politics, public policy and public administration. And then there's the layers, the layers of data, the layers of history, layers of technology, layers of science, layers of future. Uh, and so layers of equity, they're just, you can kind of add as many layers as you want, geography, geopolitics, and therefore that, you know, the, there's many ways you can kind of look at all this. And, and then as we uh, bring data and data science into the conversation, uh, we can start to really look at the numbers of things. And now more than ever, cities just have huge amounts of data that they're collecting and I think more and more people need to get the skills to be able to use that data to help people make better decisions. And that's really what part of what data is, is it's a decision-making tool. What I see now is a lot of uh, courses are pitching this idea of these data analytics or data certifications, data science as new career paths like hey you too can be a data scientist and you know pay and join our program and you'll come out the other side and you'll be you know ready to be hired as a data scientist and the way that i see the trend and the way that i am seeing how data machine learning statistics uh data visualization all of that is being folded in to every major and every facet in our society so no longer do I feel like that's just going to be a siloed role. Just like, for example, we might have a social media manager and that's all they do is just social media all day, every day. But for a lot of people, that's just a part of a job. So someone with any job can say, oh, can you also help manage our social media? Now you may be part of a marketing department or it just for some reason or another just becomes part of your toolkit and the part of responsibility that you have. And I feel like as we're going forward, we're just going to see a lot more data and data visualization and the ability to know where to find a data set, how to prep it, what how to look at it, what to do with it. And if someone asks you for a, a chart or a graph or a pie chart or whatever, whatever it is, and to explain it and to make a recommendation from it or ask you to read one and sort of assess like how legitimate is it? And if you were to look at the same set of data, would you create the same visualization and or draw the same conclusion? So that sort of ties very much into sort of the planning world. And of course, data can be used in absolutely any field. And that's what we're seeing now. When I looked at the fall curriculum for USC and I looked at, I took screenshots because I was just curious about the different departments and what they were teaching. And then seeing that data courses were being embedded everywhere. They were being embedded into urban planning, public relations, criminal justice, humanities, biology, uh, accounting, uh, of course, in urban planning and real estate and business. It didn't matter what the major was. There was something in it that was going to touch on this data world that we're now in. And I feel like a lot of people, it's interesting because on one level that I see a lot of confidence with people and how they'll talk about their relationship to TikTok or YouTube. Uh, and they'll be, be very confident in their ability to talk about the algorithm and how they know there's an algorithm at play and that the algorithm does stuff that makes their videos more viewed or less viewed. 
and that they're, they're having to engage with an algorithm. And they'll also look at their stats and see how they're doing, what sort of labeled analytics. And they'll look at that and say, oh, I gained more followers or I got this much watch time. And yet those same people, if you start talking to them about math or anything to do with uh, data science or machine learning or algorithms from the point of view of coding and computer science, they freak out. And, or if you were to ask them uh, any questions about those stats or can they go a bit deeper in making additional conclusions that inform them to make better decisions in how they engage with those algorithms. Five, four, three, two, one. And if you add, ask them about making break, if you were to ask them about taking a closer look at those analytics and what kind of decisions that they can make and giving any kind of technical framework to this information, they absolutely freak out. Like they're, they're not about it and they're, and they'll self-identify as I'm not a math person. I don't understand math. And, and I think was, I, so a couple of things there. One is I don't think it's as hard as people are making it out to be. And two, I think we're all engaging it in more ways than we may not have language for but it's there and it's all around us. And three, do not be afraid. Uh, and, and I take the opportunity to learn what you can, where you can about this and that the stats of your social media aren't that far away from a course in statistics and probability. Uh, the graph that you see that shows you, oh, look, you gained more followers month over month uh, is not that far away from calculus, which just gives you language to describe the graph. And so you can see where it slows down and where it accelerates. And it gives you uh, just other tools in terms of how you look at it and think about it. Or being able to take the spreadsheets that TikTok gives you and download them and just open them up in Excel and just sort them through different columns and see kind of what does it tell you. And I could see that one of the pieces of information that it gave me, small as, of an insight as it was, it was still pretty helpful to me as someone who is looking to grow as a content creator and looking to grow on these channels on YouTube and TikTok. And what I noticed is that I really didn't have to pay as much attention to how many views any one of my videos got in sort of the first 24 hours, 48 hours. What I was finding is that when I downloaded this spreadsheet and really looked at it, I was seeing that on a daily basis, my videos were getting anywhere from 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, you know, up to 40,000 views a day. And I have a small account. I have 4,000 followers. So, you know, in the whole scheme of things, I'm not at monetization yet. I'm at 40% there. But what it showed me is that the more I feed the algorithm, so to speak, the more that it sees me active on my account and making new content and participating, that it rewards me for that by serving up all of my older videos. And allowing them to get more views. So therefore I was, I, it gave, I, I played with enough five, four, three, two, one. I played with enough math to look at sort of what the trends were and where it was helping me get to where I wanted to go and the pace that I wanted to get there. And for me, it came to 
making five videos a day. That was, and, and, and giving myself a day off. So 30 videos a week was a growth pattern that made sense for me. And that sort of showed me on the back end that that was where I was most rewarded by TikTok in generating those kind of views that weren't sort of the day and date. I just posted it once, but the ones that would sort of serve up thereafter. And, and I use TikTok as an example in YouTube, just to sort of say, anybody who's afraid of math, it, please don't be, ask questions, we'll get you wherever you need to go. But we're seeing it and we're engaged with it all the time. And a lot of times, like I said, it's not even the, the it's more practical than you think. And it's more in front of us than we may realize and how often we are now engaged in things that are algorithms, that are machine learning, that are artificial intelligence, that are working with statistics and facts and data. And that if we look closely at that stuff, we can make decisions that help us in whatever project or agenda that we have in, in looking at that. So bringing that back to urban planning, in the urban planning space, uh, we had four semesters and each semester we had two classes that ran through the semester. And then there were two uh, sessions where we had those two intensives. So I want to kind of just look at like, what did we learn? What, what was the, what were we covering? And so the very first semester, which I started in summer of 2021, we were looking at a class called, we were in a class called economics of a productive development and politics and process of urban development. And so the first one, we really just looked at a single project and got all of the technical terms for real estate, real estate investing. And we learned about the cap rates and the IRRs and which is internal rate of return and just how to do a really solid pro forma that looks at all the numbers. And in last week's episode, we talked about the feasibility study. So this is the math just that just says, is this going to give a return what is the cash, the rate of cash return, cash on cash, uh, levered, unlevered, just all the technical terms that go into looking at a real estate deal and the structure of it. And then our final project was to uh, find a building for sale for multifamily and then just make an analysis of would we buy it or recommend that it be bought at the price that it was listed uh, based on the mortgage, the interest, um, the, the rent rolls. The, uh, the the expenses, uh, so the NOI, uh, net operating income, and just kind of like, again, just doing all the math on it and saying, did it make sense? And the project that I picked, I was like, nope, this would not be a project that I would recommend. So that was uh, the economics of a productive development. And then politics and process of urban development really had us focus on things like what makes a good city and understanding that we as people, we need clean air, we need clean water, we need clean soil, uh, we need places to work and places to live and places to build community and that, and to be educated and raise children and have uh, access to healthcare and just all the things that make uh, cities and communities work. And then of course the economics, the trade, uh, goods and services, and then politics and just understanding kind of historically, like what was part of the rise and decline of cities and how have they started recovering and evolving? And then what are the, the challenges that cities face and how can we 
collectively look to solve those problems. And that was a good and motivating start for uh, this program in, in, in a master's in urban planning. I really enjoyed it. And it really just opened my eyes to like, oh, I had no idea uh, what land use really was about, what zoning really was about, uh, what planning uh, from, you know, as every city has their, their planning department and, you know, how developers worked and the relationship between cities and developers and the needs of cities, the needs of communities for uh, expansions to and re, reorganizing and reworking a built environment. And of course, its relationship to people and society, its relationship to the environment, the economics, the politics, kind of all of that at play. Then in the next semester, uh, so for me it was fall, we went into urban political economy and urban development as one class. And then the other one was economics for a productive city. And this basically took the first um, class, which was the economics and politics of, of urban planning and just kind of just took it deeper. So where we sort of had started to figure things out, now we were just kind of just going even deeper to understand you know, what were the problems of Cleveland? What were the problems of Detroit, of Baltimore? And where do we get blight? And where do we get sort of the issues of the inner cities and really seeing a history of racism and a history of inequality and the ways that a lot of that was codified into law and that there was exclusionary zoning. And it just made it really difficult, uh, if not impossible, for certain races to move to certain places and get certain opportunities or get mortgages or get loans. And then when that tax base left, how it sort of bottomed out the inner cities. And then that created just all sorts of other problems. And so we started just seeing kind of the inside of the inner city and how these inner cities were now uh, recovering and and addressing um, their issues and looking to create more equality and opportunity and, and just improve circumstances. And with the whole goal is really how do we make cities, communities, and lives better? And then the other uh, piece of this was economics for a productive city. And this was pretty basic economics, um, just understanding supply and demand, seeing lots of things on a graph and understanding where things cleared and how the different x-axis is, y-axis is, what they meant, what happened if you put rent stabilization in, what happened if you put a monopoly in, what happened it to understand externalities where uh, people who are not a part of the transaction still have to bear uh, an impact from the transaction. And it could be a positive externality, like there's a good benefit that they get, or a negative externality, something negative that they get, sort of more pollution, more noise, more traffic. And so we just, but that was a really good foundation in economics and what, you know, what are the, the things that make an economy run, make an economy work, and you know where? What is the role of the private citizen? What is the role of the developer? What is the role of the government? And their inner interplay, and and with that also understanding you know how taxes work and what finances uh, cities to do government business and to help create incentives and have the funds they need to get things done that need being done that don't always happen through the private sector. And then we went on to look at effective engagement with stakeholders. Uh, And that was a really insightful class about the nature of 
the stakeholder and really understanding that in any project and anything we do in life, uh, whether it's our business or just personal life, that there's always going to be stakeholders in what we do. And within those stakeholders, there's those who are impacted by what we do and those who have influence over what we do. And sometimes those who are impacted have a great amount of influence. But as we've seen historically, oftentimes people who are greatly impacted by things, especially negatively, don't have the influence or the voice to change it or to uh, modify it in a way that could be more beneficial to them. So starting to look at like who's in the conversation and who's not in the conversation that should be. And that same semester, so this was um, spring, we had big data for planning and development. And this was a class that I absolutely fell in love with. This is where we started to learn the basics of data analysis using a tool called RStudio. And I just loved it. I loved everything about it. And I was like, I see the importance of data and I see how this seems like a really, really good tool for me to be able to use as well as share others how they can use it to create their own graphs and maps and charts and just decision-making process. I That was when I made the decision that I wanted to continue my studies in geospatial data science because I, I just saw the value in data and data science. And I was like, yep, this is what I want to go do next. This is where I am completely inspired. And then that was confirmed by our intensive which one of our, our classes was on design and the other class was on data visualization and communicating data. And it was really good. I mean, they started us looking at as a critical consumer, giving us a, a data heavy PowerPoint to sort of see where the bias was and you know what they were kind of trying to pitch and did it actually make sense. And, and just looking at sort of a bit of the history of data visualization, I just made a video on YouTube that's on my Philippa Burgess channel uh, called data visualization uh, for the rest of us. And it is like my, you know, sort of deeper dive into uh, some examples of early data visualizations, the ones that were done in pen and ink, uh, but were incredibly effective and very detailed in how they were uh, written and presented. And yeah, just how we, again, engage with data in so many ways that we don't even think about and how the, the media and the news use it all the time and how we may come across it in our offices or in other aspects of our lives and just being uh, aware of it, just again, from the consumer facing side, how it, it impacts you or like, again, in your job uh, when you are presented with these things or then moving along if you are then tasked with creating uh, or sourcing uh, other visualizations to support a case that you're trying to make about something. And then deeper dives into how do you uh, take data, prep data, and sort of start and explore data and start to ask it questions and see kind of what it reveals to you. So those, I, I just thought that process was super fun. I really enjoyed it. And I'm just excited to share that with others. And then this final semester, we got into leading a collaborative city and, and then integrating concepts for action. And this was learning about city governance, um, how you can have collaborative governance, and that's where I spent a lot of time looking at the ports. And I've done uh, episodes here where we've done global trade, which, you know, again, is rooted in what's happening at the ports with goods coming in, going out, uh, and how we need ports because they're huge drivers of our economy. Uh, yet at the same time, they also are huge contributors to pollution. And so how do we manage 
those trade-offs of, of what is needed just because people need to get around and we use fossil fuels to do that. Uh, yet at the same time, you know, wanting to protect the environment and being aware of negative health impacts that those kind of pollution burdens have. And then we get into the inequalities because we find that certain populations bear a greater pollution burden than others. And how can we just at least start by being aware of that? And also just that there's a general lack of housing and how we get there. And that was a lot of the other classes looked at uh, what we addressed in the last episode when we talked about the NIMBY, the YIMBY, the banana, uh, and the bananas, the build absolutely nothing anywhere near anything or anyone. And how part of our housing crisis right now has to do with so many people don't want housing. Uh, as with my dad today, I'm preparing for a road trip and he's coming with me and we were staging his car at the park and ride. So when he takes his flight back, he can uh, get himself from the airport to by bus to the park and ride. And right across the street, there was a big commercial strip mall development. And he was sort of asking, he's like, what's the value of that? And then we were talking about sort of the financing of it. And I said, it's, it's easier to get financing for, a, you can get your commercial loan for a retail a lot easier with a lot less requirements than you would if you were doing housing. And if you were showing up with multifamily housing, how many people would stand in opposition to that and not want that there? Because they don't want the density. They don't want the traffic. They don't want just to add more people to their community. They judge who those people might be, their race or socioeconomic background. Like there's all of the, this opposition to increasing density and adding houses and communities. So they'd much rather at a strip mall and the financing of it is so much easier and the politics of getting it through are so much easier than adding much needed housing, which is, can be quite uh, difficult if not daunting and, and developers need to have a good slush fund and a fair amount of money to really uh, put their plans together. And, and some of those plans will come together and some of them won't but they really can't go very far in the approvals process unless they have the architects and the engineers. And there's, there's a fair amount of due diligence and work that they need to do on the front end in advance of getting those approvals. So it really does, you know, it does create certain barriers to entry. Um, although that's one of the, the kind of brands that I'm developing is called the entitled developer, which is helping people get through entitlements because it's hard, but it's not that hard. And there are more people who could do it and should do it. And so that's one of the things I enjoy doing is helping people through that. And so that's what, again, leading a collaborative city, we were looking at um, issues of leadership, public-private partnerships, uh, issues of governance, collaborative governance, collaborative frame, negotiation. How can you really negotiate from a place where you're coming in win-win? Um, and then our other class was integrating concepts for action, which was a bit of a capstone and there we looked at the concept of wicked problems, these things that are so big and so large and nobody really wants to have a simple, there is no simple solution. And, it, you know, any, any solution is not really going to work for everyone. And there's just really strong opponents and proponents and everybody's kind of on different pages. And it's just, it, it, it just what they call a wicked problem. And in our society, we have, we have many of them. And when you have wicked problems, it's just one, acknowledging it is a wicked problem and two, you know, trying to uh, tackle it in smaller ways. Uh, we also, uh, our final project for 
Lydia Calabria City was also making a legislative proposal. And our final project was on the underfunding of Pennsylvania schools, but really it was the underfunding of schools in general and the public school system in the United States, just the way that the uh, tax, taxes or whatever other mechanisms they're using to fund education, it's just grossly underfunded. And, uh, and then of course, like that it takes more money to educate someone who has a disadvantaged background and that, so it really needs to be on a weighted model, not a per pupil model, but certain schools, like their buildings are not adequate and the facilities are not adequate and the teacher pay and the personnel is not adequate. And, you know, just, and that just leads to all sorts of detriments in society. Another thing that we found when we were looking at data, we looked at some environmental data, we looked at uh, Census Bureau data, we looked at uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics data, and there's so many different data sets out there and things you can play with and just seeing what correlates, what relates to what. what. And one of the basic things that data, you know, it, and it probably matches your logic, but, you know, the data bears it out, is that it, it crosses all racial lines, it doesn't matter the race, it doesn't matter the place, that the more education someone has, the more income they're going to make, and the higher socioeconomics they're going to have. And then that's where you do start do start seeing things that go across uh, race lines. For example, like when we're looking at like uh, pollution data in California, that it was really clear if you were white in California, you did not bear a pollution burden. But for those who are black and brown had a significant pollution burden. What can it tell you about a generation? What can it tell you about a gender? What can it tell you about um, you know, uh, health impacts and, and uh, diseases or birth weight? Or you know, there's just so many things that we can look at and sort of make um, informed decisions on. Um, it can in- include even life expectancy. One of the things I'm really interested in, in seeing. So I've pulled all of this place and planning data for several places, and so on the Muse and Metrics YouTube channel. I have these like two minute little unpacking videos that have this uh, information about what we've pulled. And I have pulled a couple hundred sources. Some of them are reports. Some of them are just kind of links. And they look across state. They look at region. They look at county. They look at adjacent counties. They look at the city. They look at neighboring communities. And within each of them, we're looking at what are the master plans what is everything that's going on related to land use and development? What's going on with housing? What's going on with economic development? What's going on with social issues? What's going on with uh, environment? What's going on with climate impact, uh, transportation, and just anything that's sort of related to that place in all of its you know, way, like whether that's again, the city, the county, the region, the state, and then all the data related data sets that give us information about that place. And so right now all I have is the the raw data poll that's either in a Google Doc with all the links uh, or in a folder with all of the reports put in there. And some of the places have hundreds and hundreds of reports. Other ones are, are smaller and just have a few dozen. But I'm excited to start getting in there and unpacking it. So all of these links are available uh, on the video in the description, there's a link to the file related to that place. And so I'm excited to kind of get in there and just start pulling them apart 
and seeing what's in there and just seeing what the trends are. What are we looking at as it relates to transportation or environmental impact or congestion? Like one of the big trends we're seeing in places that are growing super fast, um, you're seeing this in Nashville, you're seeing this in Austin, is that people don't live near where they work. Actually, where I'm at right now in the Poconos, Pennsylvania, there's just so many people who live and work in Manhattan every day. And it's an extreme commute and they're burning fossil fuels and they're spending money and they're polluting the environment. Um, but they do it because it's just not affordable to uh, live where, near where they work. And so they go to other places or they can get more for their money. And so they're willing to drive acro- across a couple counties or several counties to get to where they need to go. And you definitely, I think they were saying one in three people in Nashville lives and works in the same county. So two out of three people work in a different county. And the same thing is sort of in Austin is very similar is that more and more people are are taking on longer and longer commute times. And so more time in traffic, more time away from their family, more time, uh, you know, just in work mode. And which is why some people are enjoying kind of working from home and not having to deal with that. Um, so it, you know, it just, and coming out of the pandemic, people are definitely rethinking work and they're rethinking, uh, commutes and they're rethinking spaces. And just that the idea of this idea of a housing crisis is also, we're just underbuilt and we just don't have the housing. And because so many places are in opposition of increasing density and that they don't want more people that the houses there just become more and more expensive. These are all the issues of urban planning, you know, that things that we can kind of look at and figure out how do we, how do we make it so that, you know, how we use our spaces and, you know, the economic drivers that they just, they work for more people and, and that we're aware of them, that they're not sort of these invisible things to us. And that we understand that certain things are the way they are because there was a historical context to how it got that way, or it was a choice or of a few, or it is the choice of the many, but really kind of giving um, a bit more context to things. That was actually one of the reasons I got into urban planning is that I was working in a company that was very much wanting to sort of go into real estate and real estate development. And I kept looking at them going, I don't think it, I didn't feel like they were particularly well qualified to do that. And although I appreciated kind of the hustle spirit, that's not kind of how I operate. I will definitely grind uh, first. And I wanted to make sure I was not going to step into a space where I didn't know what I was talking about. And I wasn't that interested in building a building without understanding context. And I think that that's what this program did an exceptional job of just giving context to whatever these issues are that we face in life and, you know, just, and how they impact different people and different communities and how all these parts and pieces work together uh, in the relationship again between the private sector and the public sector um, and how we, we live in a participatory democracy. And there is a fair amount of control that we do have in, in relationship to our elected leaders and holding those leaders accountable and understanding kind of how uh, legislation is proposed and how it is uh, comes to be law and, and the different sort of branches between uh, the judicial versus the legislative versus the executive. And so I think that all of that is just, I have a much better understanding of it and I see its value. And, you know, I'm just really uh, 
interested in helping other people see that value as well. And of course, I'm continuing on now. So I now have a new semester of school starting uh, on Monday. And between here and there, I am driving across country. I am in Pennsylvania right now, and I'll be driving to Colorado. Uh, so I head out on Thursday morning, and I arrive on Saturday. And then Monday, I'm back in school on my online program in a new semester. I'm just really looking forward to it. And I just I lived in Colorado for almost a decade. And so I have some stuff in storage I've got to go through, just seeing friends and just spending time there. I'm really looking forward to it. And then I go to California for a month, and I see my mom. And I we have a week-long field trip. Uh, through USC at their um, USC Wrigley Center, so their environmental science campus um, on Catalina Island. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm just really excited to learn how to use like ArcGIS and just all these other tech tools and just become a better data scientist and data analyst and really understand how I can share this with other people to help them you know, find ways that they can just fold some of these basic skills into their everyday life. This is not about being a data scientist or an anal an analyst, but still having some basic tools that can be useful to help you do your life or your job better. And again, the point of all of these is really helping people just make decisions um, based on on numeric information. Uh, or or mapping information. And I think it's going to be fun and I'm really looking forward to it. And it starts my seventh year at USC. So I guess today I'm just really enjoying the fact that I completed the master's yesterday. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Um, I'm packing. I'm getting ready to go. And I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. My dad's coming with me and he's 82. And I'm just so happy to be able to spend the time with him. And these last two years of just, well, I mean, pandemic life, I mean, I've talked a lot about it on in the show, just all these transitions and these resets and professionally just feeling like I want to be a content creator. That's where I'm at. I'm starting on YouTube and I'm making videos and finding my voice and, you know, learning more technical stuff about how to just different things I can do as I produce and edit, find content, source stories, build community. And so it's, it's really fun. I'm enjoying I have my TikTok channel, Kung Fu Pippa. I have a couple other channels. I just haven't developed much on them. And then I have same thing with like YouTube. I'm playing with a couple different channels. I've got myself, Philippa Burgess. I have News and Metrics. And I have the Entitled Developer. And I'm just kind of like, you know, just seeing what's there and how I can create content. And um, I love martial arts. I, I just um, had participated in the local karate club. Uh, where I live in Saw Creek. And it was just so much fun to be part of that and to get to know the kids and get to know their parents and just the neighbors. And um, so I got my advancement into orange belt and karate, but I'm super excited to go back to Colorado because that's where my school is for my martial arts, for my Kung Fu that I've been doing for 12 years. And I am very, very happy to go back and be able to train. And just a lot of the upendedness of my life though, it's like things that on one level were very difficult, like other things just worked out really beautifully. Like I've, I love living with my dad and I love the time that I get to spend with him. And I've been so excited to be a student and so excited to figure out being a content creator. Now in the process, my marriage blew up and I had to deal with all the kind of fallout of that and lots of stuff that was, you know, very stressful and not very pleasant and just all sorts of things. Like there was definitely a double-edged sword and a lot of what I've been kind of in these transitions that I'm making. But at the end, I'm just really grateful 
that, you know, enough things worked out in the right direction and good things came from some very challenging things. And I'm just really taking this moment to appreciate that the last four semesters um, or the last, you know, just a little over a year, um, they were quite intense and they was busy and it was really, and I challenged myself in reading a lot. I challenged myself. I, I learned sort of to love audible or read it to me. That is how I survived the volume of reading that was given to me was I used the read it to me feature. And I really enjoyed that. That actually allowed me to take in a lot more information than I think I would have been able to if I was just reading it on its own. Um, and just, yeah, just seeing so many things that I hadn't seen before and like knowing how to research things and look them up and put the pieces together. And, and so now as a content creator, I'm super excited about just all this like foundation that I have and now kind of building upon that and just seeing where I can you know, help to be uh, not just a storyteller, but just someone who is also not exactly a teacher, but someone who helps to break it down and simplify it and make it accessible. I think that's really my my goal with all of this is everything that I'm doing. Because um, sometimes I'll say things to people like, oh, I'm studying urban planning or data or whatever. And the, I'll get this like, oh, that's like, sounds really difficult or, oh, you must be really smart. And I'm like, I mean, I, I hold my own. I'm not, um, but I don't think that what I'm learning, it should be unapproachable to other people. I think there's aspects of it that are very um, straightforward. And, and I think should and can be easily understood. Um, now that said, if you're going to be doing development, it's not without a huge amount of complexities and, you know, each project is unique and um, we'll have people who support it and people who are against it. And you have to figure out if the numbers add up and there's all sorts of competing parties and competing interest interests. So, and at any time, anything can blow up and the lawyers get involved and lawsuits start flying. So, you know, some of this is not for the faint of heart either, but it's not, you know, but in terms of doing whatever it is that is the right thing for you and folding these things into your life in ways that make sense and, and not being, and especially as I speak to uh, other, to adults, to not be, who have, and especially anybody who's sort of experienced any kind of what I call math trauma uh, to understand that there is application for math and that when you know it, you can't unknow it. It's like learning a language once you have words for things, then you use those words. But if you never had the words for them, you find other ways to describe things that might not be as, uh, they're still functional, but they might not be the most eloquent, just so to speak. And I think that that just like math is a language that just gives you more tools in your toolbox to think about things and to sort things out. And again, to make decisions because you can sort of start sketching things in your head. And also like with math, I noticed that more recently I taught myself a new way of doing calculations in my head. And it's so different from how I was taught. And I'm realizing that how we're taught things, there's so many ways to learn and that how we were taught was just one way. And it may have worked well for a teacher because they felt they could communicate it and even for a student to grab it, but it doesn't work in every case. So for example, when I do multiplication and I do multiplication 
with numbers that are large, you know, sort of a two digit number and a four digit number. I used to always do it from the smaller number under the bigger number. And then I'd multiply it and kind of add all the zeros and do it from left to from left to right. And that's how I did it on paper. And that was like always my, my way of doing it. But if you were to ask me to do that in my head, I can't do that. Like it just doesn't work for me to do that. So what I find myself doing is I would take the front numbers and multiply the front numbers. So let's say I wanted to multiply 2000 times 50. So instead of trying to figure it out from the back, which just ended up, you end up writing down a lot of zeros. What I would do is I now take it from the front. So now I'm like, okay, five times two is 10. And then how many zeros were behind that? Well, net behind 2000, there's three. And times 50, there's one. So now I have 10. And then I add four um, zeros to it. So now I have 100,000. So 2000 times 50 is 100,000. I can do that in my head because I've now started pulling the numbers from the front. And even if they're, they were more complicated numbers, you still just round them, round them down and start on the front, get the big numbers. And then you go in and you fill in the little numbers. And again, something I can totally do in my head. So even with math, even like I said, I'm in my forties and I'm still finding new ways to do, to do math that I didn't know, or um, it was just like, I was always relying on like what I was taught in elementary school or middle school. Uh, I can't really think of, you know, those, and, and anything I'm noticing with math, it always goes back to the fundamentals of multiplication. Even long division tests your ability to do multiplication. So once you, if, if anybody's really struggling with any aspect of math, go back to multiplication and just drill, 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 drill all the basics of multiplication and everything else will become easier. Long division will become easier in any other algebra, uh, uh, geometry, trigonometry, calculus, all of it becomes so much easier when, and I think that anybody who's got a weak base in multiplication will feel like they struggle with math because at a certain point, like things just need to be done in your head. And yes, you can sketch it on paper, but having that ability to take and, and get basically from, I would say up to 20, up to 20 by 20. So knowing, um, up to 10 by 10 and then up to 20 by 20. If you have that and you have that in your memory by rote, everything else becomes easier. Like that is such a foundational piece that I feel like I, when I've asked people, for example, someone was saying, oh, you know, I struggle with uh, long division and she's like, but I'm really, really good at, at, at multiplication. And I was like, okay. So I was giving her some long division and I could see her struggling, but I could see it's because her multiplication was falling apart. And so I was like, if you, yeah, so my thing to her was you just really go back and drill that. But then I always find like, I hear all so often that people are math afraid, just go with the, but nobody really needs math. Math is not really useful. It's not really that important. Uh, who uses it? Where do they use it? I don't need it. Uh, and I think that that's, um, it, it's true that there are plenty of workarounds that, you can try to avoid it if you really must. But once you know it, it's so useful. And I constantly am doing calculations in my head on all sorts of things. Like even today, like I was doing a really simple one where I was just like, I'm planning a road trip. 
and we're buying gas. And I was like, okay, well, we spent um, $40 on gas. And, you know, and I just saw that it filled my tank up 338 miles. And I was like, okay, well, we're going this many miles. And so that I could get a rough estimate in my head. I'm like, oh, okay, this, this trip is going to cost us $300 in gas. It was good to know. I just, I was curious and I just, but it, you know, I just sketched out the numbers and in my head, it just, it was easily calcul calculatable um, by just running some numbers. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I see math everywhere. I saw math a ton in urban planning. I know I'm going to see it a ton in data science and anything to do with construction, building, built environment, um, you know, anything financial, business, uh, all of it, just there's math involved and, and that don't be afraid of it. I think the, I actually think the more that you can see the practical application, the easier it is to be motivated to, uh, approach it and not be afraid of it. But that's one of the things I'm excited to do with my channel this fall is a lot more come learn with me because I've got to brush up on linear algebra, probability, statistics, calculus, because that's the foundation for the data science that I'm going into. And uh, although they you know, accepted me into the program here, I'm very aware that, you know, I'm not, I'm coming into a master's of science program where I just don't have the basic maths, like at the ready. Like I, I know I need to kind of go in and sort of do a refresh. So I'm going to be doing, I figure I'm just going to invite people to come learn with me and do that on my channel so that together we can, we can learn. So if anybody's ever wanted to learn calculus or statistics or probability or brush up on their trigonometry, their geometry, their algebra, um, or coming right back to those basics of just long division and long multiplication, it's, it's really the multiplication that to me, it's like, if you have that, all other things, um, come from that. So those are things I'm excited to get started with in the fall and just like really excited to build my channel. I mean, that's math. I've got to figure out how to get a thousand subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. And I know some of it is putting out videos, but I do kind of play with the math on that, which is to say, if I make 20 minute videos, if I make one hour videos, if I make five minute videos and I'm still new. So I know that most people who are going to watch my video, they want short. Um, but I feel like as I build a community and people really know what I'm talking about and they like what I'm talking about. They'll lean in and watch the longer videos, but you know, it's, it's a whole bunch of math calculations. And the same thing with my TikTok channel is I've been growing it to understand how many videos I needed to make and how uh, it just like, I got to my formula of five a day based on doing a lot of math um, kind of got me there to, and, and all that, that math and mental health, which is what can I do that I can do that I can manage the time and the ability uh, to do. Um, because I do think I, I probably came up with math and said, oh, you could do a few more. And then I was like, yeah, my, my mental health won't uh, allow for that. So it was sort of finding kind of what kind of growth was I committed to that I could kind of have and see a pattern and and sort of work with that. So that's kind of things I'm up to, but I, I just want to say like, if you are thinking of any kind of education that you want to go back and get, or there's just so much out there and like, whether you're just leaning and like, look for YouTube videos about it, or, um, you find a course or you read a book or you read an audio book or like, there's just, there's so much out there. Um, sometimes we just need it sort of curated for us to like, where do I go next? Sometimes we just want to gather around a community. So we're not doing it on our own. 
And that's what I aim to build is um, build a community. And I love, you know, being a, a, a cheerleader and a champion of the creative and of the entrepreneur. And now of, you know, sort of coming into um, science, I'm actually super excited that I'm starting, um, you know, on the path of uh, geographic information sciences. And, you know, that it is going to be pretty math heavy. And I think that that's kind of cool. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I had signed up for a one-year program as a certificate, but I have a feeling by October I'll make a decision if I want to extend it to the full uh, Master's of Science program. Then I'd have a Master's of Art in Urban Planning and I'd have a Master's of Science in Geographic Information Science. There is another degree, which I would need a little bit more biology and geology, in environmental data science that I'm really super interested in, but they only have that one in person at this time. But that's the cool thing about online programs is more and more things are beginning to uh, come online. So something perhaps that's not online this September perhaps would be online next September. And I'd imagine much of what I've learned in the first year would be applicable to a second year. So I'm just going to keep an eye on that one and see what they do as far as the online program, because I think really where I'd like to go with this ultimately is a lot more um, skills and knowledge around natural resource management and ecological design and larger landscape architectural projects. And so those are just a lot of things I'm interested in. And But I think I can just be curious and be a creator and continue to study and read and learn and share and investigate and just be curious uh, about things and just wanting to um, grow as a content creator. I mean, I think I have to say, like I was explaining to someone the other day that I just started my YouTube channel and like, (laughs) sort of say, I'm like, I have a job and I'm really awful at it. And I am probably an awful YouTuber and I'm okay with that because like if you go to some of your favorite YouTubers and you look at their very first videos, you can, a lot of them are just beginning. And then they stay the course and they learn new things and they get better and they get better and their audience grows. And, and then, you know, a lot of the people I watch uh, have a very loyal community and a strong base and they create quality content that's timely and relevant. And it took them a couple of years to get there. So I just feel like that just the ability to begin is the most important thing. And that's why I'm so grateful to my uh, ability to be a host on 360 Talk Radio because it's been a place where I could show up as a host and get better and practice and play and and just see what I wanted to talk about and see what I had to say and kind of grow with my community. And then, you know, for all of you who listen, uh, know that you can also find me on YouTube and that, you know, I'm beginning to put out more content there. All my episodes uh, from 360 Talk Radio are also available on YouTube on Muse and Metrics. And it's an opportunity to uh, get to know people better. I mean, I look forward to sort of hearing from you so that I can um, answer questions. And and again, I though I have five, I probably have more than 500, I probably have a thousand ideas of things that I'd like to say and do and create stories around uh, I need some structure and I need some form and I need better workflows. And, and that will happen. I think I'm, I'm just at the 
beginning of, of reaching out and getting some help on that. I've worked with a coach uh, last year as I was, and she was so helpful in transitions and helping me, you know, think about different things. And uh, I think she was, a, she was very supportive, but I think she was a little frustrated with me. Like, what are you trying to do? And I, first I was like, well, I want to do teachable, but then I couldn't like figure out like what I wanted to sell and what I wanted to create. And so well, I was kind of doing it. And you know, she was very supportive. I mean, she was very structured and oriented. She's like, if you want to do it, here's what needs to be done. And I think that's why we work very well together, but I was still just wasn't quite ready to pull the trigger on it. And then I think when the, when I found myself like resonating with the idea of being a radio host, I'm like, yeah, let me do that. And then building TikTok, that felt right. Finishing my master's degree, I was on track for that. And then launching YouTube, I was like, that's it. That's really what I want to do. And everything that I want to do is in service to that. And later, if I create a course, it's only because my audience is asking me to do so and delivering it on YouTube is no longer functional and that a course would be like the next natural next step. So I think we're, it's going to be just a lot more productive working with her. I sent her a bunch of questions about just, you know, how do I think about my workflow and uh, just organize myself and just like, yeah, just get it dialed in, like what's working, what's not working, what can work better, have her sort of audit my, uh, my channel and just kind of be, you know, another set of eyes and just, she brings uh, great expertise and, and just a, a good heart with that. So I'm, I'm really excited to get work, continue working with her, um, to, yeah, have her sort of take me to the next level as a content creator. Um, and also like other communities I'm part of, like I did the summit for the end of season one on with the voice of intentional community and Stephen A. Harms and some of the people who have taken his class and how much we all enjoyed that class. And so, I'm finding my communities, finding my spaces. I'm traveling for the next three months and that's going to be its own adventure. The next time I talk to you, hopefully I will be safely in Colorado. And um, shortly after that, I'll be in California. And so I continue my journeys uh, across the country with uh, very specific things that I'm doing, kind of doing in each place and people that I'm seeing. And it's all part of my life and my story. I lived in Colorado for almost a decade. I lived in California for over two decades. So I'm, and I grew up on the East coast and now I'm back kind of sort of living on the East coast, but I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere I need to be, but those are, those are my three places. And so it begins. Um, but yeah, I am really enjoying this moment and just celebrating that this win that I've completed a master's degree and that feels good. That feels really, really good. And it feels like I can breathe because I was getting a little nervous. Like, I'm not going to finish this. We knew we would, but it was a lot. And there was, you know, the, the, the assignments just kept coming and the reading and all of it. And then we had sort of final presentations and final papers. And uh, but we did it. We did it. And it was worth it. The amount of information I learned and just my commitment to help other people through what I've learned and make things better. Um, that's like the purpose of it. Uh, I don't see myself getting like a sort of traditional employment anytime soon as I kind of am sort of in this sort of academic mode right now. And then that sort of dovetails into sort of my content creator mode. And hopefully we can inspire each other. I know other people who had gotten their masters were the ones who inspired me uh, to know it was possible and to pursue it because I don't think I would have 
pursued it at all if other people had not gone before me and said, you can do this. It's totally um, worth it. And I think anybody I know who's gotten a master's degree uh, that I that I know has found themselves um, knowing that it was absolutely worth it.